Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host, and this is episode 75. Today we're going to dig into the weeds of something about which I need to know more, and frankly, we probably all uh, should know more. That is the WCAG standard whereby accessibility can be measured against a W3C standard, um, which makes everything easier to understand for those who are trying to uh, build websites that are accessible to people with all kinds of disabilities. And to help me sort that out, um, I have with me a great guest who has long experience in this work. Uh, His name is uh, Eric Eggert. Eric, welcome to Parallel. Hello. Thanks for having me. Eric, is, it's great to have you. Eric Eggert is an accessibility advocate at Access Lab. Before that, he worked on WCAG-related information and educational material and at Texas-based nonprofit Nobility, supporting companies making their applications and websites more accessible. So let's give for folks who don't really know what it is. What is WCAG? Why is it important that web developers understand it? And, and what does it help them do? Yeah, so um, so the first, putting that out of the way, I personally say WCAG, um, but there are people who say WCAG. So, you know, because this is accessibility. I like WCAG, but I wanted to do the letters first so that people are, you know, madly Googling, although we'll give them lots of links, but WCAG will work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, and some people say WCAG and it's like, it's accessibility. So we have a lot of things describing the same thing. So that's always So like fun. GIF versus GIF. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, the WCAG is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Uh, it's a standard from the W3C that basically gives you guidelines. It's in the name that, uh, you know, help you to make your websites and applications more accessible, um, trying to uh, get all different needs of people with disabilities under one roof and say like, okay, this is like the minimum floor standard that you need to meet uh, to ensure that people with disabilities can actually use websites and web applications. And WCAG goes, I didn't realize it went back as far as 2008, or that's that's version two. So when, when did WCAG sort of come into being? So WCAG has a really long history. Um, so uh, WCAG is developed at the W3C, which is the world, uh, the, the uh, world Worldwide Web Consortium. Um, very, very complicated. So WCAG is developed at the W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium. Um, and that started with, you know, the inventor of the web, Tim Berners-Lee, in the 1990s. Uh, and then in uh, relatively quick, in 1997, um, uh, the WAI started, which is the Web Accessibility Initiative at W3C. And then in 1999, the first version of WCAG, WCAG 1, um, uh, came to be and was published as a standard, as a recommendation, as W3C likes to call it. Uh, and then it took like nine years to get to uh, to the second version, uh, which is WCAG 2. And now uh, we're uh, at the second version of that standard, which is like a lot of fun. So we're living in the 2.1 world. 2.2 is the one that is at a, a draft stage, but very close to coming into being, right? It's this is we're, we're not in early stages by any means. Everybody pretty is 2.2 pretty much finalized. Uh, it depends who you ask, um, <laughs> which is always the, f- the fun thing because W3C is this consensus-based organization. Everyone has to basically thumbs up the um, uh, the, uh, the the publication and and making it a recommendation. And currently, WCAG 2.2 is in the candidate recommendation phase. So currently, we have a candidate recommendation snapshot uh, at W3C. Um, and so uh, basically, this is the time where everyone can comment and say like, oh, I don't like this, or I really like that, um, and, uh, and really get like the comments in from like the broader web community so that WCAG can be published at some point. Uh, and, you know, they want to have it done by December. Um, I'm I'm looking forward if that uh, comes to pass. So, yeah, is there a likelihood that it would be delayed? Is that the sort of thing that doesn't necessarily happen on schedule? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the early plans was that WCAG 2.2 would be published in 2020, um, which didn't happen for a variety of reasons. Um, I think there was a global pandemic or something like I that going that. around as well. Um, so, you know, it 
took some time and then, you know, it's uh, back and forth, uh, stuff is proposed, then people like criticize that, uh, try to make it easier to understand or more precise. So yeah, it often goes in a couple of rounds, but this is like the, the, basically the ultimate step before there's like the big W3C vote, um, where all the members of the consortium vote and hopefully release something as a standard. So we're going to talk today about what's in WCAG 2.2 and beyond. But probably before we do that, we should explain the conformance level concept because there's A, AA and AAA, which indicates how accessible, how, how compliant your site is with these accessibility standards. And you can say, I have an A site, a AA site, a AAA site. Can you sort of explain how those are, conformance categories are divided? Yeah, so the the interesting thing with WCAG um, is that it has these like two um, goals. So the first thing is the the guidance um, portion that I I really like. So giving you advice on how to build your websites and application. Uh, and the second uh, part is that you can also test your um, your website and application against conformance with the standard. So do I do like, do I reach this minimum level? Um, and uh, there are a couple of like structural things. So you have um, principles and then you have the guidelines and then you have success criteria and you test according to these success criteria. And we will talk about the SC's success criteria uh, quite a lot with 2.2. Um, and those success criteria, they have been assigned levels um, and A is basically the basic level, um, which basically doesn't make your site accessible at all. Um, it is uh, basically just the first step where like some people with disabilities have some access. Um, and then you have double A, which is um, the level that um, uh, you have. Most people with disabilities can use your website and application reasonably well. Uh, so that is also what is in most um uh, policies and most laws and stuff like that, uh, who, who goes back to, uh, WCAG, they say double A is the minimum. So you have to meet all the A criteria and all the double A criteria. And there's triple A criteria. And basically these are, um, I always compare them to like Kickstarter stretch goals. Um, these are things that you can like in your situation, uh, you can look at those AAA criteria for guidance, um, what you, what additional stuff you can do. Um, but most um, clients, most companies, organizations, they want to conform to AA. And is that how a client would typically approach a, a consultant or somebody helping them out? They say, look, my goal, or, or the consultant might even say, are you trying for AAA or is AA where you're going? And then that's how they work on their compliance. Yeah, that's usually what's happening. So double A is like the, the normal thing you do. You know, if you don't talk about compliance or levels, then you just assume double A. Um, and then some clients say, Oh, I have like live streaming and I want to make sure that I also meet like the triple A criteria for, um, live captioning, for example. And there are like these niche cases. Um, but the reality, unfortunately, is that, um, most people don't really take care of these AAA criteria because they are additional stuff and nobody likes to do right. um, additional stuff, unfortunately. So let's let's talk about 2.2. We have things that have changed and things that are new. So let's start with the things that have changed. So focus visible changes. What's, what's that all about? Yeah, so um, WCAG 2.2 introduces new um, success criteria for the focus appearance and when it, and that it shouldn't be obscured. Um, and, uh, basically that meant that the focus visible success criteria, which basically says like, if you're going through the page with your keyboard, um, you have like a focus indicator. It's usually like a, um, dotted outline or like a sh bluish shadow, um, depends on your browser, um, that highlights um, where you are on the page. And that's super important if you are, um, a person with low vision or if you, you know, if you're a keyboard user, you want to know where you are on the page when you're using the keyboard to navigate. Um, so focus visible basically said like, yeah, you know, no matter what you do, um, the focus needs to be visible, but it was a double A criteria. So it was like something that was a little bit extra. It was not in the basic, like, ground level of, of accessibility in there. Um, and it was 
like what does visible mean? That was not defined. Um, and now 2.2 uh, tries to define that. Uh, and basically that meant that this focus visible criteria could go down a level into level A and be more like the entrance um, uh, level uh, of WCAG. So everybody's got to focus on it pun unintended, uh, but everybody's got to address focus visible if they're doing elements that use it. I mean, I, I don't know how common, I mean, obviously certain elements, uh, I think media controls you use this as an example, and there, there, there are other things where focus is going, focus visibility is going to be a big deal. Is it something that comes up in a lot of web kinds of web development? I mean, if you're just doing a fairly straightforward page with that's focused on text and, and images and the like, is focus visible going to be something that people are going to encounter a great deal? Focus visible is one of the things that is like not done all the time. Um, and the reason is because it looks ugly. Uh, people say, I don't, I don't share that feeling. Um, I think, you know, knowing where you are and seeing like the outline, uh, is, is pretty nice. Um, but, uh, but people don't like it. And so they go in, in their CSS and they remove the, uh, the outline, uh, using outline none or, or outline zero. Uh, and that basically means that no matter where you are, if you're, if you're going to a link on the page, if you're going to a button, if you, uh, focus on a text field, uh, you don't get that visual feedback of where you are on the page. And that basically means you're completely lost. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't know, like, if you press return, does that open the link? Does that activate a button? You just can't, can't know, right? And so uh, that's that's something that happens all the time. And there's hardly any, like, accessibility review we do where we don't say, like, yeah, you know, you forgot to make your focus visible on these things. The next one is target size, and it's been renamed to target size enhanced. Is that actually a change, or is that just sort of a cosmetic thing to change the name of? And it, it's, it's a AAA thing, so it's somewhat optional. Yeah. So uh, basically, um, when WCAG 2.1 was released, uh, this target size criteria was a new one, um, and it uh, basically says that uh, how big interactive widgets needs to be. So if you have a button or a link, um, you know how how large should the target size be like uh, and it should be 44 pixels um, but basically that's a pretty high bar to meet uh, for many websites and different like um, configurations for example if you have um, social media icons next to each other you know having them at a minimum of 44 pixels uh, was was seen as something that is pretty hard to meet so it got shoved to triple a uh, instead of double a uh, where probably should have been and basically for 2.2 a new um folk uh, target size minimum was introduced uh that takes the place of the target size enhanced mm. which is now target size enhanced uh and basically uh requires a 24 by 24 pixel minimum target size uh and so that is now double a and so because to make those distinguishable uh this is now renamed to target size enhanced. Okay, so in AA we do have a target size. It's just the same it's just been brought down from AAA. So it's actually more important that you if you want to be AA, you you've got a you've got a goal. You've got something to reach for. Exactly. So it's not not like you have to go to the 44 pixels, you know, which can be which can be hard, but there is like a in-between step uh which is uh the the new focus appearance uh success criterion. Uh, no, the new target size of success criteria. Anything else to say about what's changed before we jump into what's new? There are a lot of new success criteria in uh, 2.2. Yeah, and, and that's basically what, what usually happens. Uh, so even for 2.1, um, uh, they try to make WCAG 2 um, additive. So um, uh, basically it has never happened that something got removed from WCAG. Uh, it's basically only like minor changes in terms of levels. Uh, this is also new, by the way. Um, and then, you know, it's a uh, additive like, okay, we have this new requirement or the web has changed in some way. So we want to put new success criteria, new requirements into the standard. Um, and so you get these like minor changes and then you get like um, a lot of additions. That's uh, usually what happens. 
So as we go through what's new in WCAG, I'll point out that we will have show notes with links to all of these things. And I'm going to call out the guideline numbers so that people will have sort of a frame of reference if they want to follow along. Uh, they, they may not. There are plenty of places out on the web where you could get sort of plain language versions of these guidelines. Or, uh, as I say, we'll have links to the actual uh, WCAG uh, guidelines that are somewhat official. Um, so let's start with... Uh, Guideline 2.4, navigable. What is that? That's a brand new one in 2.2. Yeah, so the guideline itself is not new, uh, but there are new success criterion in there. Uh, and uh, and basically, a navigable, uh, the idea is that you need to navigate around the page. Um, and I said that with the focus. Uh, and here, basically, those uh, new focus um, demands come in. Uh, and the w- one that uh, is new is focus appearance. So uh, as I said, with focus visible, that was very like, okay, it has to be visible, but we don't make any like, you know, requirements on, on what visible means. So basically having a one pixel somewhere would be a visible um, uh, cr- uh, focus, uh, which, you know, that was not the goal of that success criterion. Um, and as far as I know, nobody tried to like get around the success criteria that way but if you test you have to be like relatively strict on okay this is a wicked failure or this is like something that could be much enhanced for the user so you want to to make that distinction a little bit so having um focus appearance um as a guy uh, as, as a success criterion uh, makes a lot of sense like defining what a success what this success criterion should look like. Um, and it's a relatively complicated success criterion. Um, uh, I have to say there are a lot of, um, I mean, it's like two separate um, uh, requirements that you can meet and then they have like sub clauses. Uh, it's very long uh, and it's also the only success criterion currently marked as at risk. So this is still like, oh, we don't know if we can get that through the consensus process. Um, uh, and yeah, and basically the idea is that you get um, a focus outline on every interactive uh, element that is that has enough contrast and is thick enough to be noticed. Uh, so you know, like a one pixel thick border around like every focused um, element, or that there is like an icon that you know appears or something like that. So that's the goal of that success criterion. Is that why it's so complicated? Because there's so many ways you could comply, whether it be an outline or the the thickness or the contrast of the border. I mean, there's just a lot of different elements that you could use to make your element appear more visible to somebody with low vision or uh, it's specifically to to visual appearance, right? It's not, this isn't addressing say keyboard access or anything else like that. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is just like the visual, what's happening visually when you use your keyboard, but it does not address like getting there with the keyboard. You already, um, we already have a success criterion, um, 2.1.1 2.1.1 keyboard, which says, oh, you have to get to all interactive things uh, with the keyboard. So, you know, this is very specifically on how it should look when you um, have a focus indicator. Um, and yeah, uh, it, it tries to have like, oh, you know, there are there are like seven different things that you can do and that are very visible and that would be a good like start for, for focus um, uh, indicators. Uh, and so they try to basically have all these options covered with the success criterion text. And it's very, very like complicated. And and the next one under navigable is focused, not obscured. And there's both a double A and a triple A, an enhanced version of that one. Yeah, exactly. And that basically like if you have your like cookie notice or your main navigation on the top and it is like a sticky navigation, um, sometimes it happens that you use your keyboard uh, to navigate the page and your uh, focus is basically there's a layer of content uh, on top of uh, the focus. So you can't see the focus uh, style and uh, and these two success criteria are there to basically tell you, oh, you know, don't do that uh, because, you know, it's hard to see something if it's, if, if there's a layer on top of it. Um, yeah. And some of, of the listeners 
probably think like, oh, couldn't like the browser do that, uh, s some of this? Um, and uh, for example, um, Microsoft Edge has a really, really good default focus indicator. Um, but the uh, unfortunately, that's not supported in all the browsers um, and a lot of web developers override it. So it's like, um, it's re really hard to know what the best way forward is on, on there. So currently it falls back to the web developers implementing the focus. Yeah, I guess just as a general matter, it's worth pointing out that there is a wide range of what one can do with browsers and or, or what, what browsers can do to overcome accessibility limitations. And so WCAG is designed to support users, whatever browser they're using. And you can't say, well, why don't you use Edge if you want something, you know, that's that's, that's better for, for an accessibility purpose. You, you're supporting, I mean, I, I don't, it, it's, it's not, it's not every, it's not literally every single browser that exists, but I assume that WCAG also basically creates a baseline and says, you've got to support all browsers beyond a certain point. Yeah, so there are there are accessibility requirements, and you can basically say, okay, what are supported uh, technologies, uh, and that's where you basically for your website can look at your own statistics and say, like, okay, uh, I have like you know uh, edge users and Chrome users and uh, and and users of different different things, and uh, this is like the technologies that I require people to use. So you can say, uh, I require CSS. Uh, or I can require, you know, JavaScript for my website, but you can't require like a specific browser to um, for, for, for users to use. So let's talk about guideline 2.5, which is input modalities. And there's a couple of new uh, sub-guidelines in there that we should, we should go over. Yeah. Uh, so input modalities was introduced anew in uh, WCAG 2.1. Um, so we got um, six... Um, success criteria there, including the target size one that we already talked about. Um, and they basically, um, uh, so when WCAG 2.0 was announced and, and created, there was no iPhone, there was no like, you know, touchscreen mobile phones, no, no mobile web of any kind. So, um, those like different input methods, uh, input modalities, that was basically not a thing that was like largely discussed. There was like this, oh yeah, we have to support that at some point, but why do it now when we don't have like any actual implementations? Um, so when 2.1 was uh, published, uh, this input modalities was added uh, and has some uh, things that that are general for users of touch screens and um, you know pointers like mice um, and and stuff like that uh, and tr trying to make those interactions accessible uh, and there's already um, pointer gestures so uh, that you uh, don't that you have alternatives. Uh, for people who um, who cannot, for example, drag and drop uh, and do other uh, movements like that. And 257 dragging movements um, is more precise in that uh, and basically says like whenever you have drag and drop uh, interaction, uh, you have to have uh, an alternative that is not dragging and dropping. So uh, that, that will help to make sure that, uh, uh, that, you know, people who can't use uh, mice or other like input uh, devices uh, in a precise way uh, have a way to to do those interactions. And then we also have target size under that, which we we talked about a little bit before in another context. But I assume that's that's also is that relevant specifically to dragging and dropping, or is that just generally with uh, input modalities? Yeah, that's general. Uh, how big your your individual sizes are. So. Um, WCAG tries to be um, as like uh, technology independent as possible. So basically anything you can touch or click, uh, target size applies to it. Uh, and because WCAG 2.2 um, comes out after 2.1, which, you know, that's a good timeline, um, uh, this target size minimum, which is uh, AA, actually, actually has a higher success criteria number, it's 2.5.8, uh, then the enhanced version, which is AAA at 2.5.5. So um, because 
WCAG does not want to uh, change those success criteria numbers because they are used in, you know, a wide variety of, mm -hmm. of ways and tools and, you know, for communication. So uh, so that's a little bit weird. So when people look at WCAG, you know, keep in mind that that can happen. So you have AAA criteria and then AA criteria and it's a little bit of a um, mumbo jumbo there. <laughs> yeah, I I, it, I see all the numbers and you know sub points, and it reminds me of uh, you know looking at uh, city ordinances or state laws for their numbers. And I, I yeah, I assume that when something new is added, you add a new number rather than going back and replacing what's already there, because people are like, wait, I know what two point five point five or whatever the number is, and I'm working toward it. So you can't rename it. You can't change entirely what it means. Exactly. Exactly. So the next one is guideline 3.2 predictable and there's uh, one under but, but but explain I think I understand that but uh, the the idea here is that people who are using uh, your browser people who are using your site should be able to intuitively understand what's going to happen when they take a certain action. Exactly. So pr predictable is basically making sure that your web page, your web application appears and operates in a predictable way. Um, that's from the guideline. It's a little bit redundant. Um, but basically making sure that uh, if you interact with something or, or use something that you um, can use your experience basically to um, uh, to use it. So uh, one of the big uh uh, examples that I like to use is when you have a button on a page, you want something to happen when you click it or activate it using the keyboard. You want the, uh, you don't want that something happens when you uh, just you know hover over the button or something like that. You know that that would be like jarring and bad. So um, predictable basically gives you that. Um, and in two point two, the new success criterion there is three point two point six. Consistent help, which is an A criterion and basically says like, if you have, um, a help functionality like a, a form or a, a FAQ or something like that somewhere on the page, it always has to be, uh, in the same relative order on the page. So if you have in your footer a link to your email, then it always has to be in the footer, which is, I think that's just good design, but, uh, but. And right, I was going to say, and that sounds like something that, <laughs> It should go beyond accessibility. It's also kind of hard to test for in the sense that, yeah, you could find a page where a mistake was made, but the developer is going to have to have some sort of some sort of template or design document that basically says, yeah, we always put the help here in the header, in the footer, or we always have an email here in the footer. We always have the RSS feed link in a certain place or, you know, whatever piece of assistance or piece of consistent uh, interaction you have. Um but it's and it's an A, as you say, so it's not like everybody should be doing it, but it does sound sort of not easy to to test for in an accessibility context. Yeah, and I, I think to to test for this, basically, uh, you look at your sample. So so when you go th with the client through, like, okay, how do I do this accessibility audit? What are your goals? Um, you basically identify like the main pages and like the main flow. So if you have a buying flow or something like that, um, then you have like a list of pages, list of views uh, that you look at. And basically you would um, only look at that set of pages um, of views uh, to make that determination. Um, and uh, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm doing this now for many, many years. And I think this success criterion, I think it's very hard to not meet. Uh, so uh, so I think it's good that it's there, uh, especially for the um, uh, users with cognitive disabilities, uh, which are like, you know, not very well represented in the current WCAG. Um, and, uh, uh, and so I think it's a, it's a good thing to have that in A, so you can say like, okay, we, we have this and we can test for it. Um, and in case it is violated, we can at least say like, oh no, there's really, you know, a foundation, uh, for that criticism or for, for, for that, um, uh, f yeah, test failure. So our next guideline is 3.3 input assistance, and there are a couple of uh, new things there. So, so tell us, I, I, again, input assistance, you're providing uh, a way for somebody to use methods other than what the standard is, whether it be a mouse or whether it be using a touchscreen or, or whatever. So, so talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, basically, this is uh, mostly about like correcting and identifying mistakes. So you have things like error identification there. Um, so basically, um, helping you uh, uh, or helping users uh, in general to uh, to fix mistakes and and uh, fill out forms and interactions. Um, efficiently so that, that that's the main thing you know that all your forms are labeled uh that you know you um provide context sensitive help um all of those like really important things um and uh, and uh basically there are three new success criterion here um the first one i want to talk about is 3.3.9 redundant entry which is an a level criterion um and that basically uh uh, is there to give users um, data that they have entered before back. So if I have a multi-step process and I have to put in my address um, and then I have to put in my address again, so for example, billing address and shipping address, very um, you know often used uh, flow, uh, then the website now needs to uh, basically give me that uh, entered address uh, in the first step Back and let me choose it um, as you know as a selection, so I don't have to type it in twice. Uh, and that's obviously very important for people who have cognitive disabilities, but also it makes you know life easier for for everyone. So um, that's a good good success criterion there. Do you want to talk about the other ones under this category? Do we want to go on to what's been removed from two point two? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, accessible authentication uh, has like two levels of uh, uh, of uh, success criteria there. So there's a double A and a triple A one. Uh, and basically the idea is that you can't have a cognitive function test when you're doing uh, 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 authentication. So when you log in into something uh, and uh, a cognitive function test is basically anything that uh, involves, you know, cognitive functions. Oh, that sounds a little bit redundant, uh, but it's remembering a password, solving a puzzle, stuff like that. Captures uh, or the the visual captures that we think of, that we see all the time with the little boxes of pick the traffic lights and the buses and the boats and yeah. Yeah, see, we we are on one one level of that, uh, but there is actually an exception for for those. Uh, if you uh, have to recognize objects, that is actually allowed. So, uh, um, yeah, for. Uh, at least in the double A criterion, um, yeah, they they say like, yeah, you know, some captures we we need to keep for like security reasons or something like that. Uh, I don't, I personally don't like that. You know, please make all captures go away. Uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, WCAG needs to find this like right balance of like, okay, what can we do and what doesn't get like vetoed in the process and stuff like that. So, uh, Oh, that's interesting. But so so do, WCAG doesn't address or does it the need for an alternative to something like that. So you're allowed to have visual identification of objects, but often those captures include a an audio alternative, which wouldn't help somebody who, if they were deafblind, of course, but it would help somebody who, it would b provide an alternative for somebody who has low vision or no vision. Yeah, exactly. So every visual um, uh, information that is on the page needs to have an alternative. That can be alternative text for your normal images, but for a capture, it would be like an audio capture, or it could be like, send me a link, and I click on the link, and then I get logged in, you know, as a verification. Uh, could theoretically be something like a uh, support through a password manager. Um, yeah, but for this accessible authentication, they basically say like, uh, I think the main goal is that you can't prevent copy and pasting into uh, the form field, mm. uh, like in the password field, which right. a lot of sites still do. Um, but yeah, there are different different ways to do that. Well, let's talk about uh, what's been removed from 2.2. And, and let me ask it this way. Are does when things get removed from from WCAG, and I, maybe this applies to standards generally, does it tend to be just that they're deprecated for reasons of because it's extremely old, or are there other considerations where people say, no, this is a standard that's too difficult to meet, or there's some problematic element? How, how do things end up leaving a standard like WCAG two point two? Yeah, so general in standards that would that is exactly what would happen um, because web standards are made for like long term um, uh, use, so over many many you know years and decades of use, um, 
it's usually uh, very hard to like really remove stuff, but uh, stuff gets deprecated. Uh, and um, that happens like in HTML and some CSS uh, things. Uh, WCAG get generally doesn't do that. Um, the, the WCAG working group that works on the standard is very, very reluctant to change existing wording or remove like stuff that is like outdated. Um, and there are discussions going on where it's like, yeah, maybe we should remove some things or word things easier to understand um, or maybe even some of the uh, uh, like assumptions that we had when we created this like in 2008. So, you know, that's almost 15 years ago. Um, you know, maybe those assumptions, they don't like fit into the modern web. Um, but yeah, the, the working group is very reluctant because they basically don't want it to change. And, uh, and that's for good reasons uh, because WCAG is one of the most um, used standards in uh, policies and laws. So, uh, you know, Europe has a law that basically references WCAG 2.1 directly and says, like, this is our web accessibility standard. Um, and so it's very hard to make those changes. And did we lose anything notable in 2.2? No, there haven't been nothing removed. Good to know. We just included that just so we, so we could have that conversation about how things remove and and I, I guess I wonder you know whether that sort of thing happens where somebody has either relied on or expected a standard to exist and poof it's gone I mean you could obviously still choose to adhere to it there wouldn't be anything preventing you from doing it but it would no longer be part of the WCAG standard I guess yeah and that's the nice thing on uh, of WCAG specifically because it's only uh basically only saying like, oh, this is the minimum that you should um, achieve. There is no real need to like remove stuff. Um, one of the most contentious things uh, is, you know, the uh, color contrast uh, uh, calculation that mm -hmm. is happening right now. Um, and so, uh, you know, that it has its advantages and disadvantages. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, but if we, if we would change that in WCAG 2.1, three or 2.4 or you know if that would happen um how do you make sure that this is like backwards compatible or do you just say like okay if you want to uh, conform to the new standard uh then you have to change your um your colors but uh, you can still conform to the old standard so there's a lot of things in, like in the air about that and that's always like a a uh, very contentious dis, uh, discussion if you have that. <laughs> well, as with so many standards, uh, there is a planned uh, follow-on to 2.2 or the, the next big version, big, big version, if you will, uh, WCAG 3.0, but it's no longer going to be called WCAG 3.0. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is anticipated in WCAG 3.0 and when it's going to happen. But first, it's important to note that it's already been renamed W3C Accessibility Guidelines. So uh, we don't even have to say WCAG anymore after 2026. Is that right? <laughs> well, you still have to say WCAG, but it will be, you know, it will stand for W3C Accessibility Guidelines. Sure, why so. not? <laughs> That's just, it's just like yeah, I, I, and and basically we had that, that that discussion happened actually while I was working for W three C and uh, and and basically the argument was like oh we really like like the WCAG brand like the the recognition and a lot of um, people who use WCAG you know know that that is like the thing they want to look at um, and. Uh, there were different like proposals uh, in the mix, uh, like, you know, just call it accessibility guidelines. Why not? Um, and there would be AG, but would that be then AG1 or would it be like AG3? And it's like, yeah, that's like too too much to think about, really. Um, and, uh, and so basically they said like, yeah, but we don't want it to be like fixed to web content. We want broader applicability uh, so people feel more confident using it for uh, example for mobile applications uh, or like uh, desktop applications even so uh, basically they said like oh yeah we're just being sneaky sneaky and we're using the wc from w3c uh, as the wc <laughs> in wcag which is like yeah come on <laughs> sure why not people will call it sure, wcag yeah. 3.0 and we'll be exactly, fine <laughs> exactly so where is wcag 3.0 in development at this point. They want to publish it in 2026, but presumably there's work ongoing now. 
Yeah, I mean, the work for, for WCAG 3 started, um, I want to say, in 2014. Uh, and uh, and so it's been a long time uh, working in the back uh, of the WCAG Working Group, which has been renamed to the Accessibility Guidelines Working Group, you know, to, to sure, make why not? things more interesting. <laughs> as, as I said at the beginning, like, we're really good at, like, giving the same thing, different names and oh, yeah. different things, the same name, um, because that, that has to happen. Um, and so the accessibility guidelines working group is working on that. They have done a lot of user research, um, and basically currently have like the first public working draft out since beginning of last year. Uh, and those public working drafts are basically like, Oh, this is like a snapshot on what we're working on and please comment on it. Um, and so uh, it's a very early state um, still, uh, despite the long time working on it. Um, and uh, currently it looks like it will be like a complete departure from WCAG 2. Uh, so that means that you have to like relearn a lot of your testing processes and, uh, uh, you know, getting getting. Uh, acquainted with like a whole new organization of the standard. Um, and that, you know, feels like uh, a pretty big change. Um, considering that we are already in 2022, um, uh, 2026 sounds very optimistic for me, uh, having worked with W3C <laughs> and and seen how, how quick standards go. I mean, we had three uh, changes to WCAG in like, what is it now, 15 years? Um you know, uh, and it's like a really big departure in in all of the ways. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I'm the jury is still out if that's going to happen. And given that so many people are and will continue to use WCAG two point two point whatever two point one two point two and follow ons, uh, and that it's written into law, I assume that those two things WCAG two point X and three point X will exist out there concurrently in the world, even after it's published. And that's going to be a challenge for, you know, what do people who are creating uh, compliance rules for their organizations or for the governments that they work for, how are they supposed to address those two uh, standards existing in the world? Yeah, and that's one of the big, like, questions that you know, I, I personally have, but that's also discussed in the working group. And so there is currently no like consensus on how that should work. Um, but the goal, uh, as far as it has been communicated, is that both standards would be just existing at the same time, which um, uh, is, a, is something, of course, they can do. Um, and that basically WCAG 2 would be fading out slowly while WCAG 3 is fading in slowly. Um, and that, you know, uh, like a lawmaker can then decide to like get on the WCAG 3 bandwagon at some point. Um, the challenge is, uh, because WCAG 3 is such a departure, the question is really, uh, you know, if I'm now conforming to WCAG 2 and I want to conform to WCAG 3, what is like the uh, upgrade path? What do I need to do? Um, if I'm conforming to WCAG 3, will I also be conforming to WCAG 2? Uh, is that, you know, because that's not a guarantee. Uh, WCAG 3 could say like, oh, we don't uh, address like a specific requirement that WCAG 2 had. Um, and so, yeah, and this is all like up in the air and, and there has been no decisions at all. So it's, it's really super early. Is it possible to say what the sort of overall goals of WCAG 3 are above and above and beyond modernizing. I mean, it started in 2014, but I, I assume, and as, as we've talked about before, uh, mobile technology particularly, but all kinds of technology and browser technology has changed and, and grown over time, and probably recognition that more disability types need, need to be addressed as, as well. So, so is there sort of a, are there goals for WCAG 3 that make, the, make it very different than what WCAG 2 is trying to accomplish? Yeah, I mean that's the, the, that's basically the whole drive behind WCAG three is um, mobile, uh, low vision, and cognitive. Those are like the three big um, uh, forces behind. Like, okay, we need to put that in in WCAG two point one. That you know happened at some point, but then there was also the recognition that um, the strict way that WCAG two point two 
uh, or WCAG 2 uh, in, in its entirety uh, is laid out and the requirements that the working group basically gave themselves, um, that it is hard to put in, for example, things that are more squishy, like, you know, uh, write understandable uh, text, uh, write understandable content. Uh, it's really important, but how do you put that into a WCAG 2 vessel that can then be tested with a like thumbs up and thumbs down because all the success criteria in WCAG 2 uh, need to be testable for a true or false result, right? Um, and that probably won't be the case for WCAG 3. Um, uh, and, uh, and so you can put in stuff like, okay, make sure that your text is readable and then give like general guidance on how that would look. Uh, and then, you know, give people like more guidance on how to test that but there will be a lot more like squishiness i think in those in some of those like outcome success criteria that they will have is that generating a lot of resistance i mean do do people find that difficult or is it freeing in some way because you're able to i mean i can see how you could actually if you're a web developer who has the right intentions and wants to enhance accessibility you have a little bit more freedom to do things that are creative, but at the same time, you have to test against these squishy criteria. Yeah, and that's like, that. that, that is, there, there, there is a lot of discussion around that. Um, and, uh, uh, and yeah, it gives you opportunities, but then like, you know, the, the WCAG 2, 2 criteria, they are supposed to be like true-false testable, but in a lot of times you go like, yeah, you know, this theoretically meets the success criteria, but it's still like an accessibility issue. So I will write it up and I will say like, hey, you know, theoretically you just scrape by the success criterion, but I still have to tell you like this is a terrible um, uh, interaction <laughs> for people with disabilities, so please fix it anyway. Um, and, you know, and I would I would like to have more as, as a tester with a lot of experience, uh, I think it would be good to have a lot more uh, agencies in making these things and say like, hey, uh, this violates this guideline, you know, that is in uh, WCAG, but you can't currently like really do that. Um, and so uh, so you have to go to the success criterion level and always say like, yeah, you know, this he, here you're just you're just meeting it. You're just doing like the bare minimum, but please do more than the bare minimum because this is just not enough. Does the existence of AAA and AAA in WCAG 2.2 sort of allow for that? So obviously AAA has specific requirements, but is there a way in which you can say, all right, I've met AA and I'd, I'd like them to do a little bit better. And well, there's AAA out there as a goal and maybe there's a place in between. Where I mean, Does that make sense? Yeah. And sometimes we we do that. So So we say like, oh, you have a lot of like, um, live video on your website, so please uh, see the AAA success criteria and uh, uh, and you know build that into your website. But it's hard; it's hard to make that case for clients. Um, and uh, I think uh, you know, and and I think we're often uh, pushing to do that. You know, as the accessibility community, we try to push our clients to do more than the absolute minimum. Uh, and a lot of clients are very open to that, but some clients also have like very small budget for for accessibility and uh, just try to like to like do the best they can in the like means they have. So it's always like, okay, can I? Is is it really like the most important for this client to do the AAA success criterion or to fix their like really like a lot of AA criteria and usually you side on the like yeah we just have to make broad improvements instead of those specific things. So another thing that's different with WCAG 3.0 is the organization the testing the evaluating of the standard can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so so WCAG three, the idea is that you have the guidelines, uh, and then basically you have outcomes. So instead of saying uh, you have testable criteria, you say, oh, the outcome of what you're doing uh, is supposed to be like uh, uh, that that your content is readable, uh, and then you have methods to achieve that readability. Um, and uh, I, I think it's. Uh, more complicated than the WCAG uh, 
organization. So there's a, there's a lot of things like oh, and look over here for those methods and uh, uh, and 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 see how you can achieve that. Uh, and uh, those methods then are organized by the technology you use. So how to uh, meet this in like HTML and CSS. Um, yeah, it's a lot of of like pointing and not like a lot of things like oh, here are the three things you should actually be doing. Uh, and and WCAG 2 has not been that much different in that aspect. Like it's, you know, it's always like complicated to make these standards. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like completely different um, and, uh, and basically tries to be more itemized uh, in, in what the outcomes would be uh, and, uh, uh, and helping, helping um, organizations that way to say like, oh, that's what I need to do and have more itemized things. Is there a way that people who are sort of steeped in the WCAG 2.x world should be preparing for 3.0 or should they kind of wait and see what's going to happen? Because as you say, 2026 is the plan, but that might be optimistic. Or is it is it best to just focus on 2.2 right now and, and get ready for that? Yeah, I mean, WebAIM, uh, which is a nonprofit who does like surveys and stuff like that on, on uh, uh, web accessibility, they have, uh, uh, I think every every two years, they do like a survey of homepages and basically look at the homepages, validate them through automated tools, which do not build like the whole picture of accessibility, of course. Uh, but basically, websites at the moment violate so many WCAG success criteria that are already existing. Um, I think everyone who is uh, like working in this uh, should concentrate on fixing those issues first <laughs> and then concentrate on WCAG 3 at some later date. It's like there, there, there's still enough time and we have to come up with all the procedures and how do we test um, one of the questions is if you have to have like a 100 percent um, success rate with some of the outcomes. So uh, in discussion is if like a big social media site uh, would want to conform to WCAG 2, it's really hard because basically it says like you have to have alternative text for all your images, uh, which, you know, because it's user-generated content, mm -hmm. very hard to do. And WCAG 3 wants to address some of that. So there are things like there uh, in, in there like, oh, Maybe eighty-five percent or ninety-five percent of uh, of images is enough to earn points, and then you add the points together and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, now it's like bookkeeping for websites. I don't, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, these are the thoughts. And uh, as I said, like this is all very early, um, and there will be a lot of discussion if this is like too much work, you know, because. If I have to keep track of every single image on a website or in my set of websites that I test, um, that gets a lot of like work, especially for smaller clients. So maybe I say like, yeah, don't bother with WCAG 3. Let's do WCAG 2. And I just tell you which of your three uh, images have no alternative text. And then you can just act on it. And, you know, it's easier for all of us. Anything we should say about, uh, and I, I guess I'll focus back on WCAG 2.2 because that's kind of where we started. But there, is there anything else as a wrap-up that we should say? And I will remind folks that I will have uh, copious show, no show notes based on our outline, so you can go and look at these guidelines and standards uh, as they exist. Uh, but uh, anything else people should know or think about in terms of, of WCAG stuff? Yeah, I think there, there are a couple of things that you need to keep in mind, especially when looking at 2.2, but also for like all the uh, WCAG uh, specifications, is that uh, most people don't know about them and uh, this is like new information uh, and uh, we are really bad at training people to look at WCAG and including that in their day-to-day uh, -day, uh, workflow and design workflow and stuff like that. So there are a lot of developers and designers out there who just have no idea what WCAG is and how it works. So if you're one of those people, it's totally okay. You know, we're here for you and we try to help you to get through it. Um, the text is complicated. Concentrate on the principles and the guidelines first. Um, a lot of accessibility people say you should not look at WCAG when you start out with accessibility. Uh, I think that's bad advice. Uh, WCAG has a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, and you should at least know, like, 
okay, uh, the general like gist of what it does. Um, and the W3C way uh, has a lot of good information that get you started. There is a whole like uh, fundamentals um, a course there that you can do, like a MOOC course. Uh, and so, you know, don't get like bogged down into, oh, I don't understand this um, and I, I should know it, you know, and, and beat yourself down uh, over it because I, I know that that happens sometimes and uh, and it's really always breaks my heart because, you know, that's not what we want to do here. Right. Yeah, there's a way in which when we talk about guidelines and 2.y.x.z that people get a headache because it's bureaucratic and it sounds like I'm, you know, trying to apply a rule to the way I design my beautiful website and have all sorts of goals to do with what the website is supposed to accomplish. But then I also have these regs to follow. And I'm sure that for people who don't have experience with that, that can be a daunting prospect. Yeah. And, you know, and you can do, you can basically make almost anything accessible. Um, the, you just have to, uh, well, just as always, you shouldn't say that. Uh, you you have to to know what the guidelines are, what like the the like things are that you want to achieve, and then there are usually ways around things, or where you can say like, oh, I just use like this other HTML element, uh, or I build my my buttons out out of like real button elements that are in HTML and not out of diffs, where I have to do all the accessibility stuff manually uh, because so much of accessibility is already built into the web. Um, and then, you know, we go in and we make changes and that sometimes um, makes things less accessible. And then we need to recognize when that happens and basically work against that. Do you recommend that people stay away from or embrace automated tools when they're getting started to take a look at whether their website is accessible right now or where some of the problems may exist? Automated tools are great. Uh, I I think uh, if you if you're just starting out, um, using them can really help. Uh, they can be really cryptic though. Um, so if you're using uh, the uh, if if you want to use a tool uh, that is like very approachable, I uh, always recommend the uh, Wave tool from from WebAim uh, because it's like giving you an overlay over your website and then highlighting like individual things that are happening and click on the little icons and it's really nice. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what I would recommend to start out. Uh, and then there are like the hard, more hardcore things like uh, X and stuff like that, that give you like, oh, you're violating this success criterion and then have like a little bit more technical language uh, to, to guide you through, which is also useful. Um, but uh Always keep in mind that those tools only can address about 30 to 50 percent of uh, the success criteria, depending on your website. So um, so at some point you have to manually do the testing. Well, so we'll link to Wave and to Axe. Uh, Wave is really cool. I like it a lot. And I've played with Axe, but That's it's nice. smarter than I am. So, I'm, you know, it knows more than I do, which is what it should know. Uh, and, and just to be clear, in case terminology is confusing to some people, we're talking about tools that will... Uh, look at your existing website and tell you whether where accessibility issues are. We're not talking about overlays that are AI based and will attempt to make your website accessible. We've talked about that on the show before, and that's a controversial topic where people uh, software is put on the website to allegedly provide auto accessibility in an automated fashion. So we're just talking about tools that help you as a developer. Uh, determine whether there's an accessibility problem that needs to be addressed on your website. Exactly. Well, Eric, we've reached the one more thing portion of the program where I always ask my guest a little whimsical question uh, about their, themselves and their lives. And Eric, I know you're a fan of podcasts, including uh, some right here on Relay FM and on The Incomparable, places where I happen to podcast. So, <laughs> so obviously you are a person with a taste and good sense. But I wondered if you would like to recommend a couple of podcasts to our, our listeners. And I specifically say uh, you, they don't have to be on any networks that I podcast on. Uh, you know, don't be a homer. Just, just pick a couple of podcasts that you're listening to right now that you really like that you think people should check out. Yeah, I'm wearing my upgrade uh, hoodie right now. So, um, so rep <laughs> representing. <laughs> Good. Um, 
How'd you get one of those? <laughs> they're, they're so comfy. This is not advertisement. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I have two. Uh, one is related to the topic of accessibility. Uh, my friend uh, Nick Steenhout is doing the uh, Ellie Rules podcast, and he has a soundbite section. And those are really short, five to ten minute podcasts uh, where he interviews uh, individuals uh, and ask them about their disabilities and what um, uh, barriers they encounter on their day-to-day -day life. It's really good. There are transcripts there. It's like, it's like really nice if you say like, oh, we have this issue um, and I think we should fix it. And you need someone explaining it from their point of view to, you know, your boss or, or, or someone. Uh, those sound bites are really, really nice. Sounds good. I, and actually, I, I want to get Nick on the show. And it's funny because uh, I asked him some time ago when I was putting together parallel episodes. And he's the first person that says to, said to me, I don't appear on podcasts that don't have transcripts, which I 100% respected. And I fairly quickly figured out how to do transcripts for my show. So there is a transcript for uh, uh, Parallel. It isn't always updated immediately after the podcast goes up because I have to go and do a little manual tinkering with it, but I try to do it within the, the week. So I, I appreciate Nick uh, sort of nudging me in that direction. What else do you have? Yeah. And the other one, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And so uh, a new new-ish podcast um, uh, is Who Corner to Corner. Um, and it's basically two two blokes which have a very like positive a view of of um, uh, Doctor Who and uh, and and talk about it and uh, have sometimes guests of the show, actors from the show. Uh, it's really nice, very positive, you know. Uh, and uh, and sometimes you need that in your podcast queue, and so uh, I often get back <laughs> back to them. And you know, that's not taking from like the big. Doctor Who podcasts like the Radio Free Scarrows and the Verities and the the other yeah it's like ninety percent Doctor Who podcasts at this point in my podcast player but you know, <laughs> um, but but they do a really good job and I like their their attitude. Excellent, Eric Eggert. It was so great to have you on the show. And as I said, we'll have copious show notes. But do you want to tell people uh, where they can keep up with with what you're doing online? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, everything I do is uh, under my uh, online nickname uh, Yatil Y A T I L, uh, and uh, so I'm on Twitter at Yatil, and I have my website on Yatil.net where you can uh, find everything that I do, including like speaking things, and you know, uh, and if you have questions, feel free to tweet at me. Um, I'm always I'm always having like my DMs are open too. So excellent. Well, this was really great. I learned a lot about uh, WCAG and um, and thank you so much for being here. If you want to keep up with Parallel, please go to relay.fm/parallel where you can subscribe and see the show notes that I've promised you, as well as the transcript, which now that I've talked about it, I feel like I should get it up really quickly. So we will definitely do that. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter at Parallel Pods, or you can follow me personally on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Bye now.